So as we continue our January teaching series on circles, uh, we, we want to invite you and let you know that our registration to sign up for a life group is open uh, now until the end of January. And, and I want to just do some house cleaning. Uh, a lot of you asked some really good questions, so I want to help clarify that. Uh, we have a few groups that have been meeting for, for years, and they will be going through the same content that the whole church will in February. Uh, this sign-up is for people that are not currently in a group, which is exciting to think about. So we are launching new groups of new people with new leaders. That's healthy growth. That's exponential growth. And, and the response from you guys, both of our gatherings, really has been overwhelming. So I want to encourage you, uh, you can sign up. We're, we're, we're cool with technology. You can sign up right now on your phone. Actually, if you swipe left to events, you'll find the sign up. If you swipe left to teaching series, all the sermon content that I'm going to cover will be on your phone as well. We also want you to know that as you leave out in the lobby by, on the left side by our front doors, our next step iPad kiosk, where if you just simply approach it, tap the next step button, you can sign up for a life group. If you tap the event button, you can sign up for the baptism class. So we want to make you aware that registration for life groups is open. Now, as we talk about getting connected into a circle, uh, we sometimes <laughs> self-deprecate ourselves, and we, and we think about, like, why in the world do I want to open myself up to people? And so today we're going to talk about preventative circles, things that get us in the way of community, things that get us in the way of being in a circle and in a life group. And if I got an amen for guacamole, let me get an amen for awkwardfamilyphotos.com, like, like, the, like these guys. Now, when we think about getting in a life, that kid on the left, good Lord, I hope he's intelligent. <laughs> um, but uh, when we think about getting in a life group, we, we tend to think about insecurely, like, how we looked <laughs> through those childhood, adolescent, middle school, high school years. In fact, when I was in student ministry, I would ask adult leaders, hey, would you, <clears throat> excuse me, would you be willing to lead uh, a life group of middle school or high school students, either guys or girls, uh, for, you know, the next school year? And when people would say no, or I need to think about it, what happened time and time again, it was a no, or I need to think about it, because they would revert back to how they looked in middle school and high school. And I had, I had manly men, manly men say, you know, I wasn't popular in high school or middle school, and uh, I was awkward, and I got made fun of a lot, and I just can't, I was like, dude, you're 45. They're not looking at you like they're your age, all right? Like, chill out with the Dr. Phil, all right? You need to grow up. A little. But, but sometimes we do that when, when the preacher says, hey, we want the church to get connected in a life group. It's part of our 2019 big rocks that we want to move forward. And we tend to revert back to like, oh, man, middle school and high school, it was an awkward time for me. But yet, we're coming out with this big idea that circles are better than rows. We love the weekend experience. You guys are, have been phenomenal, inviting friends, and the Lord's doing a really cool thing uh, over the last couple of months here. And, and now we're asking you to ante up again and say, let's, let's take what happens in rows into the week by joining, uh, by joining a circle. And I don't know if better is the right word, but there's some things that you don't get to experience in a row that you get to experience in a circle. And again, there's some things that you get to experience in a circle that you cannot experience 
in a row. And so if, if we revert back to <laughs> our insecurities or, you know, do I really want to carve out the six-week life group experience? And do I really want to be, no, there's some things I think that get us in the way, some obstacles to circles. And one of them is just busyness. We're just, we're just flat out busy. And I don't know if it's we worship or we're an enslaved to our schedule. I'm not, I'm not here to cast any judgment. My wife and I have a little corgi. Like, we don't have three kids. We're not running around. All, so so I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to families with a bunch of kids and a big schedule. Like, I, I, I get it. But, but here's the deal. Uh, I am <laughs> too busy in the sense that it's not worth my time as a leader to invite our church just to another church or religious event. Like, I don't have time to do that, right? Like, that's, there, there are other things that I'd rather do than go to your church event just for the sake of going to a church event. But when I read the Gospels, and, and I take an honest look at how Jesus approached his life, right, and, and, and what he made time for, the way Jesus lived his life was not in a list or a schedule, it was in a circle. He intentionally invested in, at the beginning, 12 men, which blew up to men and women, like hundreds. He started a movement, right? Uh, and he always lived his life in a circle first, and everything else happened secondarily. So, so we're not interested, and, and I want to respect you in your time. I'm not asking you to get involved in another church thing. I'm asking you to live life in the way that Jesus lived life. And for him, he had to carve out time to spend with his circle. And, 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 here, and here's, here's what's really hard. Uh, in our lives, we're going to have to say no to really good things so we can say yes to ultimate things. And if we don't have a deeper why and a deeper yes and purpose for our living— we, we will tend to just say yes to anything that comes down the conveyor belt of our lives. Everybody's busy. Like, get in line. We're all busy in our own different way. And Jesus was busy. He got tired. He actually told people that were sick, I'm too tired to heal you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to sleep now. I, I'm tired. But yet Jesus always made it a priority to spend time in circles. I think another reason why we avoid circles is because we're afraid. We think back to awkward family photos. We, we think like, you know what? I already have a circle of friends. I've got great coworkers. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest deterrents of people getting in a life group are really good families. Like, that doesn't make sense. Sure it does, because I know people that refuse to, refuse is strong, but, but refuse to get in a life group because they've got a phenomenal family support as if life groups are only for them and not just for other people. Like, there may be other people that want to be in your life group that don't have a family support. Like, what do we do with that? Like, what happens, what happens to them? And, and, and here's something that I, that I would argue, that <clears throat> all of your circle of friends serve a specific purpose, okay? And it's not that you're a hypocrite or you're a different person. There's just different expectations. When I go to the gym maybe sometime in January, uh, I will work out with the similar people because I go that same time. I don't know them that well, but for the sake of this argument, uh, that's a circle I have. 
I go to the same coffee shop every Monday to write sermon content. I'm getting to know the owner, the employees, and that, that's intentional, by the way. It's something that I'm trying to do. That's another circle, right? Like when I'm at the gym or when I'm drinking coffee, those aren't circles where I'm like, let's have a Bible study and tell me your deep, dark secrets, right? That's not the purpose of that circle, and what we're trying to set up, and what Jesus, I think, does with his life is to set up circles where there's intentional conversation about what the Lord's up to in your life. So it's not that you need to add another circle. It's you need a circle that gives you permission to have these kinds of conversations. It would be unfair if I went to the guys that I work with in the gym or the guys and gals I drink coffee with to force a Bible study on them. They're like, I don't know who you are. Like, I already get weird looks when they see a Bible and a stack full of commentaries. Like, I, and I start talking, like, but that's not the purpose of that circle. But we need a circle, and we are busy. We are afraid, and thirdly, we are tired, but it has to be a priority because it's part of the way in which Jesus lived his life. And if you're new to church or you're new to RCC, I know it's a lot to stomach. It's a lot to take in. Just take a deep breath. I need to take a deep breath. And it's one step at a time. A professor, theologian, Dr. Gilbert uh, Bezekian, he actually uh, had, had a pretty famous pastor in his class in college, Bill Hybels, who, who launched uh, Willow Creek. He says this about community in his book, Community 101. He says, The silent churning at the core of our beings is the tormenting need to know and to be known, to understand... <coughs> excuse me, and to be understood, to possess and to be possessed, to belong unconditionally and forever without fear of loss, betrayal, or rejection. That's the kind of circle that we want to start at RCC. Now, now that doesn't happen right away, right? Like, you got to go to your circle. You got to figure out who's weird, who's normal, who you like. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I'm trying to set realistic uh, expectations. There's been some circles that my wife have been a part of. That there were, you know, four or five couples, and only two really hung out uh, on the weekends. Th that's okay. That's not nothing wrong with that. Um, I totally lost my train of thought because I was trying to be funny here. Um, <laughs> but, but, the purpose of, but the purpose of a circle is that you could be known and understood. That, that, that the apex of church and religion isn't to know a bunch of facts about the Bible because the Bible is about Jesus. Sometimes we can worship the Bible and not know Jesus at all. And it's also getting to know other people. When you share your story, that is just as profound, if not more profound, than when I'm sitting in that little coffee shop trying to understand the original context and the Greek words for this and that. It's powerful when we open our lives up to other people. Now, I want to talk about King Solomon in the Old Testament. Uh, before, he, uh, before his father passed away, before David passed away, King Solomon took over, the Lord asked Solomon, <clears throat> you can have whatever you want, right? Sort of a genie in a bottle. As you start your kingship, what's one thing that you want, and I'll grant it to you. Now, I, I don't want this job, but I can't imagine if, if you're a president of the United States, an angel came down from the heavens, right? <laughs> and walked down Pennsylvania Avenue and said, before you start your presidency, before your inauguration, I'm going to give you one thing. Like, what would that thing be that you would want? Would you ask for money, unlimited resources, Tylenol, <laughs> uh, oh, oh, victory every time you went to war or a country tried to overtake us? 
You know what Solomon asked for? <coughs> Excuse me. He asked for wisdom. He asked for the ability to do life well. Now, I find that interesting because when men and women are at the top of their field in business or, or any, any, uh, any field, much le- it doesn't matter, we think that they've got it together. And, and maybe they do. I, I, don't, I'm not gonna, I don't know that. But for Solomon, when he started out his kingship, he asked for wisdom. And because of that, he became one of the most intelligent folks that have ever walked the earth, at least definitely in the Bible times. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, he records some pretty profound stuff about circles that I think will help us. He says, two people, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You know that's true. You don't have to be religious to know that's true. You don't have to be a Jesus follower. You could be an atheist to know that that's true. It's heartbreaking when the people we love fall. Whether it's financial ruin, there's a divorce, um, an incredible film out called Beautiful Boy that Steve Carell stars in, tells a true life story of um, a father and a son and the son's addiction to meth, how it just destroyed the family. You, you know of families that have been paralyzed by substance abuse, and it has destroyed them. And what's harder to swallow, what's even tougher to sort of get our mind around that, isn't when folks fall, but it's when they, have, when they fall and they have nobody to fall into. They have no arms to fall into. They have no relationship to fall into. I was reading an article uh, this past week from American Sociological Review. They uh, I put this on Facebook because it was so alarming. And it was interesting that my friends, my friends here that commented thought that I didn't have this. And I just kind of chuckled by their comments. But the article interviewed Americans, hence the title of the journal. And uh, they asked, um, do you have a 3 a.m. friend? What's that? A 3 a.m. friend is somebody that will be there for you whenever you need them, day or night, to be there. And the study found that one out of every four Americans did not actually have somebody that they could call at three in the morning. 25% of Americans that live in this country do not have a friend that they can call at 3 a.m., do not have a circle of friends that they feel connected to to go out to dinner with, uh, go to coffee, grab a drink. And you wonder why suicide and depression is so high in our culture because we're lonely we're isolated mother Teresa said herself that loneliness in in america is the modern day leprosy we don't have 3 a.m friends we don't have that person to talk to i want to talk about (coughs) who can be in a circle okay uh try to bring some hope into the room number one is that circles are for everybody Whether you're convinced that Jesus is who he is or you're curious, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, circles are for you. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to students and adults that prevent themselves from being in a circle because they have doubts, because they have questions. I'm like, are you kidding me? Doubt. Doubt God all you want. Ask your questions in circles. Doubt together in community. 
If you have a question that's rattling your soul, don't keep it to yourself. Ask your group, because you may not know this, but this might be an invitation for your group to grow up and mature and to think deeply about whatever it is you're wrestling with. So ask your questions. Circles are for everybody, because it's an opportunity for you to explore your faith with other people. And we need to understand as we start this initiative and get new people in groups, we are all in different spots in our faith. Some of us are faithless. Some of us have more faith than Jesus. And some of us are in between. That's okay. The point of the group isn't to, you know, demonize or make fun of or throw anybody under the bus because they don't know John 3.16 or they don't know what the word propitiation means. That's not the point of a life group. It's to do life together because circles are for everyone. Now I'm going to go into a bit of a soapbox here, okay? So if I have any chips over the last six months since I started, I'm cashing them in now, all right? If you have, if you are a volunteer on our kids team or our student ministry team, would you stand up? If you're serving kids or students, go ahead and stand up real quick. All right, give these guys a hand and gals. Awesome. Now, here's, you guys can sit down. Here, here's, here's the beauty of why I asked them to stand up. Because right now, if you have a student, a child in our kids' ministry, they are learning about Jesus in circles. And these guys and gals that stood up help lead those discussions. Uh, I don't know what it is about um, the younger generation, but they tend to lead the way. And they, it's kind of like it's a no-brainer for them that circles are important to their development. They need relationships. <laughs> you need to know that every Wednesday night, we have our middle school ministry here called The Middle and again, they have fun. They run around like crazy. Uh, hopefully not too many holes are put in walls. Uh, but they have fun. There's a teaching. And we put them in circles with trusted adult leaders that we've vetted to help them and guide their hearts through these God conversations with their friends. Now here's, I'm going to say something that's going it, to, it's hard, but it's true, okay? This is coming from just being a human and 10 years of student ministry. Here's what happens with families and students who are on the fringe. And by that, they come to church when it's convenient for them. And this isn't a judgment. It's just a, what, it's an observation, okay? You guys know me, hopefully by now. This is not, I'm not a vindictive person. But a fringe family comes when it's convenient, maybe, maybe once a month. And their student comes when it's convenient, Maybe once a month they go to group, which any time that attendance is up in the air with adults and students, it really, it really you know, messes up the feng shui or the vibe uh, of that group, right? So here's what happens with French students and French adults that are kind of like, eh, on the fence about group life and church. Listen, parents, <coughs> when y- if you have a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a middle school or high school student, this will happen in your students' lives, okay? I'm just going to keep it real. I don't care if you agree or disagree. It's going to happen. That's why we want to walk alongside of you. There's going to be a 3 a.m. moment that's going to happen in your child's life. They're not going to talk to you. They're not going to want to talk to you because they're probably embarrassed to talk to you about it. And religion, even in a good, healthy church, which I hope this is, uh, tends to guilt people when we do really bad stuff. 
guilt isn't always a bad emotion. It lets us know that we've done something wrong. What happens, parents, in that moment? Well, let me tell you what happens. When your students are not connected in the church and you are not connected setting an example for them, you will call me as your student pastor or now as the lead minister here and say, can you fix my kid? And what makes me cry, just keeping it real, is knowing that we have these circles in place from Kids Rock to the middle to the high school and they were never taken advantage of. Now, look, we're people of grace and truth. You call me and your kid does something stupid or illegal, I'll be there for you. I'll walk alongside you. That's fine. But we put these circles in place in your family's life so that we can walk alongside of you. Here's why your kid needs to be in a circle. And mom and dad, here's why you need to be in a circle. Something's going to happen in your kid's life. They don't want to talk to you. (coughs) They know you love them, blah, 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 whatever. But you're their parent. Here's what happens in the beauty of a healthy church. This is what happens to me all the time when I was in high school, or sorry, when I was a student pastor. Your kid's going to come talk to me or one of our adult leaders and say, my parents are idiots. Oh, okay, why? Well, I wanted to go out with this guy or this girl, this group of friends to the movies, you know, uh, and they said I had to do all these chores, and they, they wanted me to give, like, my friend's parents numbers to them, and they just, you know, I'm 13, I'm 15, I'm 17. Why don't they treat me like adult? I'm so tired of them. I I hate them. They're so stupid. Now, here's what happens in that moment if your kid's part of a life group, and if the adult leader in your kid's life is a disciple maker and not a friend, because that's important. Because if all we have is adult leaders that are friends, we have immature and underdeveloped adults that weren't loved back in high school and are looking for current students to love them. If you have a disciple maker, adult leader in your kids' lives, and they say that, I hate my parents, they're stupid, ugly, mean, and smelly. The good adult leader, the, the disciple maker, will say, you know, I get it. I thought my parents were stupid when they were your age, too. And you know what? They're human. So maybe stupid's the wrong word, but they may, they may not have everything together. But, but, as I, but, as I, but as I look at what your parents are trying to do for you, the person that's ignorant in this situation isn't you, isn't the parents, it's you. you, you you're, you're looking at your life with a short view. See, what I'm trying to say is that when your kid is in a life group with healthy adult leaders and they're in a circle, here's what happens, parents. You get adult leaders that say what you're saying at home. And so now a student goes, oh, wait a minute. This isn't always going to happen, <laughs> but it's, you get a student that says, wait a minute, maybe I need to cut my parents some slack. M- maybe they're not stupid. Maybe they're not morons. Maybe they're not idiots. Maybe I just need to slow my roll and cool down. This is why you need to get out of a row <laughs> and into a circle, because we want to come alongside of you, whether you're in middle school, high school, elementary, or you're retiring this year. Circles are for everyone. Circles also prevent blind spots. In Ecclesiastes 4, 11 through 12, the writer says, Also, if we two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Circles prevent blind spots. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to my counselor, 
and uh, I had this thing where I just make decisions really quick, and, and, I, and I, I, I'm sort of an impulse thinker sometimes. I like to plan and think well, but I also have this side to me that, like, everything is awesome. Let's go, let's go do this now, and somebody else will pay the bill and apologize later, you know? Which is, you know, very charismatic and visionary of a leader, but also very scary uh, if, if they get out of control. And so my counselor asked me to go back and talk to folks that were integral in my life and, and ask one question. So if you're bored this week and you want to expose your blind spots, do this. <laughs> I don't have any blind spots. Well, that's the definition of the word. You can't see them. They're blind spots, all right? Stop watching that movie on Netflix. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're blind spots. And so I had to go back and ask uh, adults in my life from middle school, high school, college, and, and when I started my career in ministry as, as a youth pastor, and I asked them this question. Oh, man, it's humiliating, but it's also healing. What was it like to experience me in that season of life? What was it like to experience me? I'm not going gonna, gonna to tell you. I got defensive. And sin does that. <laughs> it makes us defensive. Because uh, we want to portray we're better than what we're, we're leaning on. I, I got angry. And then I calmed down. Because I realized the person on the other end of the line loved me. And they were for me. And what that exercise helped me do, it helped me curve that impulse. So I, I understood when it was coming. And I understood when it was coming and I was able to curb it and, be, and make healthier decisions uh, in the future. I don't get that. Listen, I don't get that if all I do is sit in circles or rows. I only get that if I make myself available to other people in circles. It is, it is the hard work. <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Pulling the band-aid off of your kid who has a bruise, and you, you put healing ointment on it. it. It is hard to watch your kid scream and cry. And the Lord feels the same way about you. But you know what that ointment is? It's good for you. It's healthy. It will heal your body. And the same is true for us when we step into circles. It is really hard to ask the people we love, what is it like to experience me? Or another way to ask it is, what's it like to sit across from me? But I'm telling you, friends, in a healthy circle, in a healthy life group, where you've, a major, you've made yourself available to other people and they have made themselves available to you, there's a lot of growth and a lot of healing that can happen if you're willing to let your blind spots be known. Here's the last thing circles prevent, or at least what we have for today. Circles prevent isolation. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, the writer says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I find that interesting the way uh, Solomon would write this. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. In other words... It's likely, although it may not happen, <laughs> it's likely that if you choose to live life alone, chances are you're going to be overpowered. You're going to be ran over by something. Because at the end of the day, if you choose to live life alone, you are the judge, jury, theologian, pontificator of your own life. So if you're not ready to place a bet to be 100% right all of the time, you're going to need somebody to fall back on. And the writer says, if we don't have people to fall back on and to defend us and to help us from, you know, adulting in the wrong way, we are going to be overpowered by life. It is very sexy <laughs> and very easy to think about the idea 
of just not engaging with other adults, isn't it? Chris McCandless is um, one of the most intriguing people that I've ever read about. John Krakauer wrote a book about his life called Into the Wild, and there's a film uh, called Into the Wild. Eddie Vedder did the whole soundtrack. It's, it's, it's a beautiful film. And Chris McCandless, I don't know if you've heard his story or not, was a guy that basically had the view that society is, is wrong, it's corrupt, uh, capitalism is, is wicked and sinful. And he, uh, I, I won't give a lot of it away, but he, uh, he had a pretty rough childhood. And so what he decided to do after he graduated from college in Virginia, he sold all of his possessions. His parents, uh, his dad was literally a rocket scientist. His mom was a secretary for NASA, and they had side businesses uh, that they would do. So they're very wealthy family, very intelligent family. They came from means. I mean, they lived just outside of, just outside of D.C., right? And what he decided to do, he sold everything, burned his car, wrote his million-dollar check from life savings to UNICEF, a humanitarian organization, and he set foot to live out into the wild in Alaska. And this is one of, I think, the last photos that we have of Chris McCandless. He uh, found this bus by a river in Alaska and decided to live there. And he basically hunted and lived off the land. He had a little book that he brought with him to help him discern what berries are and are not poisonous. Uh, but he slipped up, and he ate a poisonous berry. And he, know, he knew that his life was coming to an end. And he said this in his journal. He said, attention, possible visitors. SOS, I need your help. I'm injured, near death, too weak to hike out. I'm all alone. This is not a joke. In the name of God, please remain to save me. I'm out collecting berries close by and shall return this evening. Thank you, Chris McCandless. Now, I don't know if he wrote this or this was in the film, but one of the last lines of his journal is what he realized. He says, happiness only real when shared. And I'm not here to demonize him. He had his own reason for the, way, the way that he lived his life. Some say he was on a suicide mission. Some say he was admirable for the way he chose to live his life. I'm just telling you how he lived his life. And how he lived his life, it seems that at the end of his life, he realized that the thing that he ran away from, he needed most. He needed family. He needed a community. He needed a circle. This is why we're doing life groups. This is why we want to help you get connected in a life group. We want to help you be known and to know your blind spots and to know that you're loved. One last final quote I want to share with you from Andy Stanley. He said it pretty powerfully. He says, a circle is like a retirement account. If you wait, it won't be there for you when you need it. But if you invest now, make it a priority. You can draw on it when you, where you need it. I've never met anyone in authentic community whose broken heart left them broken. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to gather together to talk about not good things, but ultimate things. And ultimate things are we need to be known. We need to be loved. You put that, you put that in our in our bones, you, you, you nestled it in our, in our um, rib cage. Our heart beats for it. And so I pray for my friends today that they would choose to jump into a circle. They would choose to be known. They would choose to be loved. Lord, I think religion has a great way of putting people out. They have to have their stuff together or be good or vote a certain way or think a certain way. And really, you just want your kids to come home. You want your kids to know that they're loved. I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts, that you'd fill this room, 
to know that no matter where we're at in our journey, whether we're convinced or curious, the invitation is for us to be known. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.